0: Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, God, our oh Lord, be with Lord. Make this clear, make this plain. Just make sense, Lord. Make you connect, God. Wherever I fall short, Lord God, be by your spirit. Make it clear, and clear to my brothers and sisters, God. Just want to talk to you through some things and just how i got here in this text it's a long story not long but um so this past week i been preparing for scriptures, only i get up at four to start studying give me at least two hours before i start work um this week i have to get up earlier i got up, up at to 3 <laughs> right um Studying the scripture, just prayer, prayer, studying the word. Um, but just it just wasn't making sense to me. Just, you know, I mean I I will get there. It just wasn't cl- clicking to me. I was not seeing the glory of the text. I guess I could break it apart and show the different things, but I wasn't seeing the glory. It's one thing to read the Bible, it's another thing to read it when you see the glory of God, or you, you get conviction, or you get something something's happening to you. I don't ever want to read the Bible and it just feels like I'm reading a complex newspaper article. And that's how it was feeling at one point in time. And so I'm studying, I'm praying, asking God, help me to see the glory in this, why He can inspire the apostle to put this here and talking about verse 11 to 12 in Ephesians. And so I'm doing that, starting on Tuesdays, no, when I start my servant prep, Tuesdays, uh, generally God normally reveals to me and shows me the glory on Thursday or Friday. So <coughs> I'm doing that. Nothing is really just going clicking. click I'm like, God, what's going on here? Um, all day Saturday, literally from 7.30 in the morning, I came out. I think I watched the dishes. Then went back in to the study. then just prayed. I, I, I wrote two other sermons on the same topic. I'm like, no, this is not from God, so i toss awesome. Um, so, this is literally my third sermon on this one topic. Um, not seeing anything. And so, I, I told my wife, I'm like, they, I don't know, it's I haven't struggled this hard with a sermon for like two years when I preached. You guys told them when I preached um, uh, the Sermon on the Mount being merciful. That was one of the hardest sermons I had to preach. But anyways, um, so I'm just struggling and like I need to just get out the house. I've been in this room all day. And by that time it was around seven o'clock. So it was like she was like, okay just take Novea home because she has sleep tonight. So I took Novea home and and I just went and I went after I dropped her off, I went and got some gas. And I just began to just cry out to the Lord. God, help me to see your word, your truth. I mean, I really pressed my mind. I wasn't going to preach today. I was just going to kind of maybe just read the scripture and just pray to her because I just had nothing at all. Um, so I dropped her off went to the gas station and began pouring out my soul. God just began to open up the scripture for my eyes. help me to see glory. Um, I'm praising his name as I'm driving because it's it's clicking. And I said all of that to say believers to wait on the Lord, um, even in those times in life where it feels like, God, I'm so close to the edge. You know those moments where you're like, you're back here, and you're like, God, I'm getting closer to the edge. Lord, I need you to come through. God, if you don't come through and die, God will get closer. You're like, God, the edge is right here. God, I need you to come through. God, please reveal yourself. God, open my heart. Lord, God, change whatever you're praying about. You gotta just wait on the Lord. It's just really what I want to encourage you to do, brothers and sisters. Don't just throw in a towel. I know life gets so difficult you feel like I quit this thing. I'm so I'm done with. Wait mm-hmm. on the Lord. Just just wait. Don't don't jump. Wait on the Lord. Um, he will come through. So again, I pray that just encourages somebody just to stay in a fight. Don't turn it, Um But let's, let's read our, our text today. And I'm praying because after I drove those night, uh, last night, I drove around for like a house, which is all around Sacramento. And got back home, probably like 9 o'clock. I started working on this, and so I don't have it. i that I can make this sound coherent in a way, <laughs> and that it connects. I really need God's grace and mercy through this. And so I probably will touch on this text a just later. But let's, let's read the text. Second, 2nd um, Second Ephesians chapter two, verse 11 and 12. So in fact, like we'll go to 13, but again we'll come back again eventually to really dig into this. But the word of God reads, therefore, here's our word, therefore, remember these therefores when you see them in the Bible. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember, I love Paul, this is word. remember. I know this is not in yours, italicized, but remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Amen. Oh God to you, word, Lord. Now, the apostle Paul, in verse 11, he starts off with this word, therefore. Remember we talked about last week in verse 10, he started with four. remember, for, means he's pointing backwards and explaining the previous verse or the previous verses, and so Paul here in 11, he starts again by saying, remember, Therefore, remember, you being Gentiles in the flesh. Now, this this therefore, that he says, therefore, remember, he's not pointing back here in this context. He's not pointing back to the previous verse. The previous verse spoke about God's grace and how we are now new creations in Christ, created for these good deeds. So Paul is not going back and giving greater explanation to that. So what Paul is doing here in verse 11, he's going back to where he initially started at the beginning of chapter 2 and having us consider our former selves, our, our old lives before Christ. He, verses 1 through 10, Paul is basically, that's all really one sentence in the Greek. So now he's summarizing everything he said and, he, and he's having the, the Ephesians again to go back and to consider their life before Christ. Just how he started in, in verse 1 of chapter 2, you were dead. Your trespasses and sin, Paul is looking backwards again. So he's telling the Ephesians, these Gentile Ephesians, again to go backwards in their mind, go backwards in their memory, and remember who they were prior to Christ. And so he says, therefore, remember you being Gentiles in the flesh. See, the apostle, he, he loves. He does it in many of his other letters. I think about 1 Corinthians 12. Um, he, he does it in Colossians. Paul, he loves to go back down memory lane. He loves reminding himself and, the, and believers of how far God's grace has brought them. And so he's doing the same thing right here. He, he wants the Ephesians to, to see the glory of God and what he's doing in their life. And so he's having them walk back down. Memory lane, reminding them who they used to be prior to the grace of God coming upon their life. And it's good for us, brothers and sisters, to walk down memory lane, to remember how we used to. Be or to re- remember when you were living in darkness. You remember how that felt. You you remember the fornication. You remember the drunk nights and getting high. You you remember the loud arguments and loud fights. You remember being a slave to your pride. You remember the lust. You remember, you remember how far God has brought you to where you are now. Now at the beginning of chapter two. The Apostle Paul does this, At the beginning of chapter two, verse one, he has the Ephesians, Gentiles, he has them to consider the actions that sin or what sin living inside of them has caused them to do, which is what he showed us walking according to the course of the world. We are enslaved to sin, sin lives inside of us, and because of that, we did certain actions. And so some of those actions that Paul is calling the believers to remember is this, when you walk according to the course of the world because of sin living inside of you, when you were um, walking according to the prince of the power of the air, or when he says, um, when we had our time in the flesh, and indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind. Paul there is showing the believers the effects of sin or what sin has caused you to do, the things that it caused you to walk in. And some of us can, right now, we're ashamed of some of the stuff that we have done because of sin living inside of us. Some of the things that we hope that nobody in this room ever knows because we've done some crazy things because of sin working inside of us, because of us being deceived by the kingdom of darkness and going through all types of things that we pray that nobody here ever knows. The actions of sin. That's what he does at the beginning of chapter 2. But at the beginning of 11, Paul is not going to have us consider our sins that we have done or what they cause us to do. But here, he's showing us the place of the class that our dead works, that our sin has placed us in. That's what he's going to do here in, in verse 10. He's going to show us the place that sin has placed us in. And here's the beauty that, that I love what Paul does just like in chapter 2 at the beginning, he shows our good works, our bad works, right? He starts off in in chapter 2 verse 1 by showing our bad works. He said that you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but by the end of verse 10, what does he do? He shows you what the grace of God has done in you, and how now you are a new creation in Christ, and now you are doing good works. So he he starts off by showing our bad works in verse 1, and he brings us all the way down to verse 10, and he shows us what the grace of God will do when it comes upon a person make them a new creation, and now they will begin to walk in good works. So things started off bad, he starts in in verse 1. It starts off bad by looking at our dead works, but by verse 10, Paul shows us uh, good works, and now we are now doing these deeds that are pleased to God because the grace of God has come upon us. What this shows me, brothers and sisters, is that it is not about how you start, but it's about how you finish. We started in verse 1 in these dead works. We started in verse 1 and to the prince of the power of the air, walking according to the course of this world. But when the grace of God came upon us, it began to change us. And now we're doing these good works that are pleasing to God because it is not about how you start. Brothers and sisters, it's how you finish. And Paul, he does that. Here in verse 11 as well, he's going to show us the place where sin has relegated us to, Gentiles, this class of Gentiles. He's going to show us how sin has put us in this place. But by the end of chapter 2, he's going to show you what grace has elevated us to, children and sons and daughters of God. So again, we start at this low place, Gentiles relegated to this special class. But by the end of chapter 3, he shows you what grace and mercy can do. He shows you the grace of God yes we started in darkness by the end of chapter 2 he shows us how we can be in the kingdom of God how we can now be children of God so again it doesn't matter how you start my brothers and sisters it is how you finish it's what the grace of God does in our lives so Paul will show us this So 11 again he says remember remember that you were formerly Gentiles and the flesh. Now I, I know in our world, in our society that we live in, we have a hundred and one ways to uh, categorize ourselves and separate ourselves. We, we categorize ourselves and, and separate ourselves by race. We, we categorize and separate ourselves by ethnicity, by political parties. By culture, by political ideology. We, we separate ourselves and categorize ourselves by country, by gender. But from God's perspective, there's really only two classes of people it's Jew, Israelite, or Gentile, non Jew. Really, those are only the really two classes that really matter. All these other ones are, are man-made things that we kind of created to, to divide. But really, there are, there are only two cruel categories here throughout the Bible that you see. It's the people, John's chosen people we see in the Old Testament, Israel, and it's everyone else. Really, it's, it's really two classes of people. So Paul is telling these Ephesians, here, these, these Gentiles, to remember when you were a Gentile in the flesh. He says, 11, remember that only you, the Gentiles in the flesh. Remember, that's who you used to be. He said, do you remember you Gentiles? Do you remember when the, the, un, the circumcised folks used to look at you with a, with a weird eye and whisper under their breath, this, this uncircumcised Gentile, which really is the equivalent of saying you uncircumcised heathen? Do you remember those days? Do you, do you remember those days, Ephesians, Gentiles, when when you would see a a circumcised Jew in a marketplace do everything they could to avoid touching you. They didn't want to be nowhere around you. Do you remember when you were in that place? Do you remember my my uncircumcised Gentiles, Ephesians, when, when the little boys, the little Jewish little boys and girls would, would not even play with you? See, Paul is, is taking them back to remember who they used to be, who they were use our modern language, Paul is saying, do you remember the time when you we were unsaved, believers? Do you remember that time when you were unsaved? Yeah. Do you remember that time when you used to be the one that your parents and your grandmas and your friends were praying that you would come to know the Lord? Do you, do you remember that time <laughs> when you weren't always saved, believers? Do you, do you remember that time? Do you remember that time where you were the aim of the missionary, where, where the missionary came to your door to share the gospel, and you slammed the door in their face, and you said, no, nah, I don't want to take this track. No, nah, I don't want this Bible. But do you remember the time before you encountered the love of Christ? Yeah, at that time, Paul is telling these Gentiles these Ephesians, at that time, your life, because you were Gentile, your life was void of the five major pillars of life. See, Paul, what he's going to do down in verse 11 to 12, he's going to show you five major pillars of life that was lacking from the Gentile life. These five major pillars are the things that a believer needs, a born-again believer needs to have a successful, thriving, God-pleasing, Fruit producing life. These five pillars Paul is going to show us. And these five pillars are the pillars that the Gentiles were missing in their life because of their class that sin had placed them in. So that's what Paul is going to show us, and that's what we're going to spend the rest of our time looking at. These five pillars that were missing from the Gentile life. These five essential pillars that are needed to have, again, a, a thriving, a successful. And God-pleasing light, these five pillars that was missing from the Gentile life, that were missing from our life, Paul's going to enumerate them to us and we're going to look at them one by one and that will be our talk for today. Now this brings me, let me just identify them and then I'll bring you back to my gas station story. The five pillars that was missing from the Gentile life that Paul is identifying here are enumerating are this. Look at verse 12. He says, remember that when you were Separate from Christ. So one of the pillars that the Gentiles were missing, that the unsaved folks were missing, the pillar that's essential again to a fruit-fair and God-pleasing life was Christ. And he says, Remember at that time when you were a Gentile in the flesh, you were one, you were separated from Christ. So that's one pillar he identifies. Look at the next pillar that he identifies. You were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. So you and your Gentile state, you and your uncircumcised state, not having a covenant with God, you were excluded, you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. But look at that too. And then look at the other pillar he points out. He says, and strangers to the covenants of promise. What's the next one, number four? He says, having no hope, alas, and without God in the world. So those five pillars are pillars that a believer needs to have a fruit-producing, God-pleasing life. And those are five pillars that the Gentiles, because of the state that sin had relegated them to, we are all mostly near Gentiles, unless some of you are Jewish, and I just didn't know about that. But all of us are, are, are Gentiles, and all of us, prior to coming to Christ, prior to the grace of God coming upon us, we're, we're lacking are born of these five pillars just like the ephesians we're no different than these ephesians you know they worship diana now let me bring you to my gas station story which is how i will end up teaching this text of the story so as i mentioned i'm studying this text and nothing is coming alive to me i'm not seeing the glory of god in this um, god where are you help me to see why you inspired this for the apostle paul for the church to read for generations and generations and so as I leave and drop off my knees, I'm sitting in the gas station. Filled up. Filled up my tank and I just sat there. And I looked around in the gas station and i am seeing this homeless man. A homeless man, he's dirty, he's walking to each trash can by you know by the pump, and he's going in there grabbing stuff, and I think he's also going around asking people for for money. And then um after that, I, I, I look to the to the left of me, and I see these young guys over here. As a matter of fact, right ahead of me, I see these young guys who are just over there, up to no good, just acting a fool, doing nothing. And then to the left of me, I, I'm seeing these two guys sitting in the car, and they're just blasting this crazy profane music and just hearing the stuff coming out of the speakers and and so i'm like god what is this and so i'm I'm driving down the street as i drive down the street to pull out of the gas station i'm seeing more homeless people and then i i hit the road and i'm seeing again a lady another homeless person who's pulling her car she's dirty and i'm saying god What does your text have to do with all of these people, God? I'm I'm like, God, does this have anything? How is this text here going to affect them, God? Why do you have me teaching this text? Does this do anything to them, God? It just feels so irrelevant, God. I'm looking at this. What does this have to do with your word? god help me to see because it felt like god your word was just so ethereal that it had no practical value i'm saying god how can this actually help somebody if i if i pulled over somebody if i went and talked to that homeless person and i began to read her verse 11 and talk about this this state like what would it do god and so these were the questions that i began to ask the lord what would these five and pillars do what do they have to do with these homeless people that I'm seeing, with the drug addict guy that I'm seeing out on the street? And as I'm driving the Lord because to minister to me, one of the things that came to my spirit as we're going is, God made clear that every person who is not in Christ is living like the Gentiles. Every person who is not in Christ is living like the Gentiles in some shape or form. And when I say living like the Gentiles, I mean that their life is void. Of these five pillars that Paul just enumerated, these pillars that are essential to thrive and success, and fruit bearing, and being pleasing unto the Lord. So let's let's just let's just look at each one, and I'll I'll bring in the story of the gas station and different things that God showed me. But let's just go through these each one by one. And so the first pillar that Paul identifies that the Gentiles, we people who are separated from God, that were missing in their life, when Paul tells them to remember, is that. He says, at that time, remember that you were separate from Christ. Separate from Christ. Um, how do say yeah, I'll leave that part of the When Paul goes here and he says, you're separate from Christ. What Paul is meaning is that the, the Gentiles, these Ephesians, they had no concept of a messiah. See, there were Jews that did not believe that Jesus was messiah, but they had the concept of the messiah. They knew that something was wrong in this world. They knew that the world was wrong, and they believed and understood that God would one day send this Messiah to change things, to, to make things right, to, to bring true justice on the earth, to, to establish God's righteousness, to, to establish God's laws in the earth. So they had this concept of Messiah, and this Messiah, that, uh, what came along with this concept of a Messiah was the idea of hope. Hope that things will get better. Hope that a superman, someone would come and and save the day and change things and and make things right. So these Jews, the ones who were part of God's chosen people, while they may not have believed that Jesus was a messiah, they had this concept of a messiah that the Gentiles had no idea. The Gentiles had no idea that there would be a superhero that would come and save the day. They had no idea that light would be restored to this world, that darkness would be removed. And as I looked at all the people near the gas station and on the road, the homeless people that I encountered, I realized that many of these people are living like the Gentiles with no concept of a savior, with no concept of a messiah. Guess what? Life is all on their shoulders. It's all on them. They're carrying the load by themselves. They don't even know that there is a Messiah. They don't even know that there's a Jesus who has come to save. They don't even realize the spiritual battles that are out there. They don't even know the tools that the Messiah has given us, those spiritual tools to fight against the kingdom of darkness. See, they don't even know all of life, all of life problems, all of my burdens are all on them and no man or woman can carry the burdens of this life. All of themselves. That's why we need a Messiah. And without a Messiah, the weight of sin, the weight of this world, that's what it will crush them. And that's what I've seen out in the streets. I've seen people with no hope. They had no hope. They are people who are trying to carry the burden of this world on themselves, not knowing that there is a Messiah that can change things. They had no hope. wonder why people are out on the streets, living in the streets, hooked on drugs. It's because they tried to carry the weight of this world by themselves and got crushed by it. Oh, if they only knew of the Messiah, if they only knew the hope that a Messiah would bring. And that's pillar number one. That us outside of Christ, that us dead in our sins, we had no real concept of a Messiah. We had no real hope. We didn't know about, that there is a true superhero, someone who will really save the day. Before the grace of God came upon us, we were living life in our own strength, not knowing of this Messiah who would come and change things. We thought it was all on us. But now that we are in Christ, we have the Messiah. We know the Messiah. We put our hope and trust in him. We know that he will save today as he has saved today. We know he will return and he will make all things right. That changes our perspective. That changes our outlook. That's why this pillar is so important. Paul is saying, You Gentile Ephesians, you didn't have a Messiah. You were separate. You have no idea. You had Artemis, this, this goddess, this small g goddess, but you had no concept of a, a Messiah. Now, the second pillar that he identifies here is he says that you were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. This word commonwealth, it's a state, it literally means citizenship. So he said you were excluded from citizenship in Israel. This is what he's telling Gentile Ephesians that at this time, when you were dead in your sins, when you were uncircumcised, outside of the grace of God, you were excluded from citizenship, the commonwealth of Israel. Now, one of the advantages of being an Israelite is that you were part of a community, this is important, that you were part of a community that had God's favor. So much so that it was your nation above all nations on the earth who had the privilege of hosting the worship services of the true and living God. It was your nation of all the people on the earth who were near to God. It it was your priest, your high priest, who would go into the holies of holies and go before the presence of God for the whole community. It was your group. And think about this. As an Israelite, when they had the the mobile tabernacle, remember how the tabernacle was in the center? and they're all surrounded by him. Think about that. Imagine that picture. They're in the middle of a the desert. There's, there's the, the center of the temple, and all of Israel is surrounded by it. They were near to God. Everybody else in the world, what? Well, they were far, far away. That's where you see this, this language that Paul says in here, that you were far from God. The reason Israel was considered near to God is because they were near the worship and service of God. The temple was in their community. It was their priests who were carrying out the worship services of God. So Israel was a special people. Again, not only were they the ones that the high priest would go into the holies of holies every year, it was this nation who God gave the commandments that He wrote with His own finger. It was this people, this nation, that God would send the Messiah through. It was this people, this nation, who were told that they were citizens of the kingdom. And they looked forward to a city whose maker and founder was God. See, it was this group had the favor of God on their lives, and this favor that they had gave them a true sense of identity. It gave them a true sense of identity. But as Gentiles, we had no place in this group. We had no citizenship here. Why? Because we we were people without a home, without a true God centered identity. See, that that is who we were. They had a true God centered identity, but us being Gentiles outside of the fold, we had no home. We had no true God -centered, centered identity. And because we had no true God centered identity, many of us found our identity in other places, such as our race. We found our identity in our cultures. We, we, we found our identity in, in gangs, or we, we found our identity in political parties. Whoever would take us in, we would say, this is our home, this is who we are. See, me, I love being black. Just saying it, right? I, I love being black, That's yes, what? I wouldn't change it for anything in the world. But you know what's better than being black for me? Being a citizen of the kingdom of God. Amen. Being God's people being God's purchased possession, being of the household of God, having the favor of God on your life, being his people. That that is way much more valuable than skin, complexion, and color. It's being of the household of God, having that favor on you. See, this is why the Pharisees throughout the New Testament, this is why they had this cocky swag. Because they knew, at least historically, that they were the circumcised people of God. They knew, at least historically, that the Israelites, they were the ones who had a covenant with the true and living God. That they were his chosen people. It was Israel. And so they had this cocky confidence, but this cocky confidence was just so heavy in the flesh that they forgot about the life that they have to live. But that's reason that they had it in the first place, because they were God's chosen people. They knew that they were the ones whom God had called and God was using. We remember when John the Baptist came on the scene, he put, he put a, a pin again in their pride of, of putting their hope in the flesh by saying in Matthew 3, 9, this, he told, the, he told them, he says, do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father, for I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. So while they were trying to put all of this confidence in the flesh, John the Baptist calls him out and says, no, God can raise up anybody from these rocks. But the children of Israel, again, they had this confidence, they had this God-centered confidence because they knew they had the favor of God upon them, that God's eyes were so upon them that they entered into a covenant. And can you imagine, do you know what a life will look like when you know that it has the favor of the true and living God on it? Do you know what a life will look like when it knows that God's eyes upon him and you are his people? especially in this fallen world where everyone tries to pull you down. So what if you don't like my skin color? Guess what, I'm a people and of the household of God. Who cares what you think about me? See, having this this God-centered confidence, it it does something to you in this world and it helps you to thrive. And that is something that the children of Israel had that we didn't have. But that we now can have in Christ this God-centered confidence, knowing that his eyes are upon us because we are one with the son, we are one with him, and because of that, we know that we have his favor. So who cares if we can tell the world? Who cares how you look at me? Who cares if you don't like my accent? Guess what? I am a citizen of the kingdom of God. I am a child of God. You see what confidence that instills in a person's life. I think about our our beautiful babies, Kia and Riker, and how this world is going to try to ostracize them because of their disabilities. But when they get this God confidence and know that they are citizens of the kingdom of God and are people of the household of God like Israel knew. Who cares what the world thinks of them? You're going to have so much God confidence. It doesn't matter if you don't like me. Why? Because I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. So again, being a citizen of the commonwealth of Israel was more about identity. And having a true identity that is wrapped in God is a pillar that one needs to be producing fruit, to have a driving life, to be pleasing unto God. Having this God-centered identity, which the children of Israel had, which we as Gentiles outside of Christ did not have. So that is another pillar that Paul is telling the Ephesians through, he's reminding the Ephesians that they did not have. Now the next pillar that he mentions that they did not have, that we did not have outside of the grace of God when we were dead in our sins. He says this, he says that they were strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and we we'll do these two together Strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope. So I was continuing my drive from the gas station. I began to think about, you know, I'm seeing all these homeless people. I'm seeing people on the streets. I'm seeing young dudes over here in the parking lot doing something that's probably not good. And I began to think about that. There are a lot of people who have committed crimes. And there are a lot of people who are right now in jail behind pillars three and four not being in their life. See, the Gentile life that Paul is describing here was a life void of the covenants and promises of God. And because many people did not know, these Gentiles did not know about the promises of God, they resorted to taking things into their own hand. which is why so many people in our world, because they don't know the promises of God, they don't know the covenants of God, they go and they take things in their own head and they, they steal and, and they go and rob when things get low, or they go and they sell drugs when things get low, or women go and sell their body. Why? Because they are void of the promises of God, they don't know about the truths of God. The children of Israel, Unlike the Gentiles who didn't have God's promises, they were aware of verses like Psalms 3410, which reads, "The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord should not want any good things. See, they knew of the promises of God, so when things got tough, when things got rough, that is what they could go and lean on, that is what they could have, that's what they would go and put their confidence and hope in, but outside of Christ, outside of knowing the promises of God, again, the weight of the world is all on you, so you don't have the promises of God to lean on, and you take things on your own hand in your own matters and we often find ourselves in crazy situations such as even being behind bars. See it's the promises of God changes everything. So Paul was saying you didn't have these covenants. You were strangers to these covenants. You didn't even know about these covenants. You were worshiping Diana. Diana didn't have any promises. Diana was just a wooden statue that you would go to. Who would you go to when times were tough? What word could you lean on? They went to a statue. But because, why, they didn't have the promises of God. But Paul basically said, now because you are in Christ, you have these promises. See again, the covenant and promises of God are so vital and important for life a god pleasing life. Not only do the, promise the promises of God keep you in times of famine or even times of financial difficulty, whatever it may be, having the promises and covetousness of God also give you perspective. See, a, a lot of people in our society They seek the riches of this world because they don't know about the eternal heavenly riches. See, the children of Israel were aware of the eternal and heavenly riches. They were aware of the good things to come. But there are so many people who are just living life like the Gentiles, void of God's covenant, don't know about his promises. And because of that, we we seek the earthly things. We seek the the jewelry and the cars and the clothes. And we seek all of those different things. Why? Because we are people who are void of the truth. We don't have the perspective that the children of Israel did knowing that there was a greater heaven coming that there was more glory coming that god was going to bring his messiah and we would really see the glory of god like there were true heavenly riches that are out there for us you see us now as believers in christ we have that perspective that is why we're not enslaved to the things of this world that's why we're not enslaved to materialism why because we know of the heavenly riches and god has given us insight to see them and to long for them and to want them so we're not consumed with the things of this world But here at the time when we were Gentiles, Paul was saying to Ephesians, you didn't have these covenants. You were strangers. You did not know about them at all. And the last one he points to in verse five, the fifth pillar, he says, and you were without God in the world. He says, Ephesians, this time, when you were Gentiles in the flesh, Called the uncircumcision by the circumcision. At that time, you were without God in the world. Now, if you would ask this first century Ephesian, who Paul is writing to, if they were without God in the world, they like them I've said, yes, we had our goddess, and the many these are gods, but we did not know the true and living God. That's what it means to be without God in this world. They, they had, there were like no atheists really in, in the, the first century. They were, people believed in all types of deities. So that, that's not Paul's point to say that they were atheists in that sense, but that they were out the knowledge of the true and living God. They had no relationship with the real God. They were without God. They had these false idols, these false deities. And because they had that, they were essentially alone in this world. They were out without God in this world. They were essentially alone, which is how so many people are in this world. They're alone. Why do so many people feel alone? It's true because they are alone. They are without the true and living God because sin has separated them from the true and living God. So they are truly alone. And because so many people are alone, the sin inside of them caused them to go and do all types of crazy things, looking for comfort, looking for solace. Why? Because they are without the true and living God. So Paul is getting, he's showing these Ephesians that these five pillars are things, are truths that you as a Gentile were a boy of, of. You did not have these. You were missing all of these rights and privileges. All of these rights and privileges that once belonged to the small group, you were missing, but now he says, in Christ, because of the blood of Jesus, you were far off, you were far from God, have now been brought near me. You now have access to all of these things that before you were void of. Now we have access. Now we are no longer separated with Christ, but we are in union with Christ. Now we are citizens of the kingdom of God with the uh, Israelites who were initially the kingdom of God people. Now we, we, are, um, we have the covenants and the promises. Now we, we have hope in God. Now we know we have a thriving real relationship with God. Paul is in all of this you were before devoid of, but now you have because of Christ. And that's what he's trying to get them to see and to remember. He's showing them the glory that remember those days when you were a stranger in Israel. No covenants, no promises. You just worshiped in Diana, no hope. Your, your only hope was tied to this world, like many of us. Our hope was just tied to things of this world. But Paul is saying, but now, because of the blood of Jesus, you who are sinners, you who are dead in your sins, you have been brought near, and you have now have access to all of these rights and privileges that belong to a people of God. But here's the truth of the matter. The truth of the matter is, while we now have access to all of these pillars that have a thriving, God-pleasing, truth bearing life, we still tend to live like the Gentiles. We still tend to live like we have no true eternal hope that this life is all that there is. We still tend to stress like the Gentiles over food and clothing and paying bills as if we don't know God's promises, as if we don't have the covenants. And remember, Jesus said something about this. you remember Matthew 6? Matthew 6, 31 to 33, let me turn you what Jesus said about still trying to live like the Gentiles. He says this, do not worry then, saying, what shall we eat, or what will we drink, or what we will wear for clothing, Verse 32, he says, for the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. He says, don't act like the Gentiles. It's the Gentiles who go and stress over all of these financial things and who worry about clothes and food. But you, you have a relationship with the true and living God. He calls God your father. See, those are the rights and privileges that we now have of being in Christ. Where we can call God Father. Where we can call God Abba. And it's Paul's point here. We still sometimes live like the Gentiles, like we don't have the promises of God. Brothers and sisters, open your Bible. There's plenty of promises. God will supply all of our needs. He works all things for our good to his glory. There are many promises. Before those promises didn't belong to us. We, we were dead. We didn't have the faith even to believe them, but when the grace of God came upon them, those promises now became ours. And they became our, our solace. So brothers and sisters, understand, you have the promises of God. You don't have to live like you're a Gentile anymore. Like you didn't have a promise, like you no don't have this word of God. They're yours now. You are one. You are God's household. So we don't stress over those things. We have covenants. We have promises. We're no longer outsiders. It's kind of looking in, so to speak. We are part of God's household. And my brothers and sisters, you're no longer a Gentile. You know, if I toss you're so much no longer a Gentile. Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians 5 that we no longer know anyone according to the flesh. Let me read you what he says. The Second Corinthians 5, 16 to 17, he says this, Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet we know him this way no longer. What is Paul was saying? We're no longer looking at the flesh. The flesh no longer has no value. We're no longer looking at you as just a Gentile. You're not a Gentile anymore. Look how he starts Ephesians chapter 11 from um, chapter 2, verse 11. He starts off saying, when you were the Gentiles in the flesh, you were the Gentiles in the flesh. You are no longer Gentiles in the flesh. You are children of the King. You are children of God. You are the King, children of the Most High. God, that is who you are now. Paul doesn't even associate the Ephesians identity as Gentiles anymore. He says, when you were the Gentiles in the flesh, you were not it's not who we are anymore. We are now children of God. I'm not going to claim that. We're new people. So I want to say this and kind of summarize this. While we are no longer looking at each other in the flesh, I don't what say it. <coughs> I don't want to make this, I don't want to give you the impression that uh, and I'm going to quote Esau McCulley, he's one of my favorite authors I don't want to give you the impression that because we don't no longer look at each other in the flesh, I'll use those categories that your Ethnicity doesn't matter. As Esau Macaulay says the gospel doesn't save me from my blackness. He says it actually, my blackness, he said, actually glorifies and burns the glory of God showing the perversity of, of God. And so while we no longer cling to our ethnicity as an identity, we understand that God created it for His glory. Mm-hmm. And so, while it is not our primary identity, it is an identity. But our main identity is children of God, children of the Most High God. Those are the categories that God cares about: Jew, or Gentile, not so much black, white, Mexican, this and that. See, we have to look at ourselves in the category that God uses. He doesn't use our racial categories of black, white, this, and that. The category that we really should be concerned with is in Christ or not in Christ, saved or unsaved. See, that is the lens that we should begin to look at. Again, our identity, our culture, something matters. But the primary identity that we have is the kingdom of God, children of God. We look at each other again with the categories that God uses to look at the world. And he sees it as people who are now in his son or who are not in his son. Now, we don't ignore the realities of a fallen world. While God does not use racial categories, guess what? Fallen man does. And because we are in Christ, we should have a God's eye perspective and oppose any structure or system that puts confidence in the flesh. So that is our call. We look at the world from God's perspective. In Christ or not in Christ? That's how we look at people. And God has given us these five pillars to carry out this life that He has given us. Paul makes this a big deal. So we have to make this a big deal. We're going to talk about the five pillars that He has identified here with these Gentile Christians. And if you can't see the glory in what you now have, pray and ask God to show you this. It's a reason why God, or the Holy Spirit, has inspired Paul to put these words here. He's inspired Paul to tell the Ephesians of the promises that they did not have, but they now have in Christ. And he's telling them this so that they can rejoice and praise God. So I'm telling you, my brothers and sisters, go back in your own time and look at these five pillars. And remember your life before Christ like it was born of these five pillars. And think about how now you have these pillars. Christ is in your life, you know God. And that should bring you to rejoicing. That should bring you to praise in the name of the Lord. stop here. Um, when I'm back here again, we're really going to dig into some meat and potatoes by God's providence. This section here in Ephesians, as you all know, it deals with, well, this is where a lot of preachers preach about race and ethnicity. And right now our country is on fire over race and ethnicity. So by God's providence, we are here in Ephesians at this time. And so we'll dig back into that uh, the next time you guys see me up here preaching. We'll actually dig probably back into 11, some more of this, um, to see what God has to say about our current situation according to scripture, how we ought to look and view each other, We're kind of redeeming the answer. We already know how we should view each other not as racial categories, but as in Christ or outside of time. Christ, saved or unsaved, that's really the ultimate categories so that we should care about, but mm-hmm. we'll dig more into that. And uh, I pray to God, bless us. Let us mm-hmm. pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth, Lord God. Thank you for these pillars that support me and have given me life. God, that we know you. We know your Messiah. We know your promises, God. We thank you for them. And we are now your coveted people of your household, Lord, God. Thank you for the eternal true hope that we have, Lord, that goes beyond this earth, beyond this place. God, I pray that you bring the truth of this scripture, God, to the eyes and minds of my brothers and sisters that they fully grasp it. Help them to see the glory of you help me to see the glory of God. Your name I pray. Mm -hmm. Amen.